Well, uh, first of all, I uh, just want to really say a big welcome to everyone, especially those who are new. Uh, last week, we kick-started a series called Faith and Money, and so we actually got a booklet that was outside. How many of you guys collected it last week? Put up your hand, yeah? Just get a bit of a show of hand, yeah? So that uh, gives you a bit of an outline. I'm basically walking through uh, each of those segments uh, in this booklet. Uh, we're talking about how our faith intersects with uh, the area of money and finances, uh, and today we're going to talk about money and my skills, okay? Uh, so this is our vision of our church, so let's all say it together, ready? One, two, three. To build disciples who represent Jesus to everyone, everywhere, with everything. And so that's the, the core uh, heartbeat of our church, is to be able to build a whole of life disciple that is you. And we believe that Jesus cares about all areas of life and all the more in this area of money. Uh, so today, uh, we've got an interesting uh, thing to speak on. Uh, if I can go to the, um, the topic slide. Sorry, because we're trying to make it work. Uh, keep going, keep going. Oh, that's my little boy. Uh, keep going. Yep. Uh, to the topic, uh, money and my skills. Okay, well, uh, today we're going to do uh, talk about money and my skills and about how God tells us to manage His money, okay? Uh, we've got quite a bit to cover. I'm going to kind of approach it from a real teaching kind of standpoint. And then uh, uh, later part into my sermon, I'm going to invite Damien to come and we're going to do a bit of an interview as he shares with us uh, some aspects around uh, financial discipleship. Um, and then after that, we're going to have a workshop at the end. So we're going to get straight into it. Uh, usually this morning, I, bro- I, I drove my two boys uh, to, to church, and then I said, hey boys, can you please pray for Daddy in his sermon? And in the past, they used to pray that, oh God, I pray that Daddy's sermon will go well, but this morning, this is how Micah prayed. He says, God, you're the one true God. I pray that people will worship the one true God. And he goes, I pray that your word will impact people, and I pray that my Daddy will finish on time. So that he can get me out of kids' church on time. <laughs> nah, nah. So that's my prayer today, that Pastor Chi will finish on time. Amen. Okay, let's pray. Yeah? Uh, Lord God, we just thank you that out of the, babe, out of the mouth of babes comes incredible wisdom uh, and, and parenting advice and preaching advice. And uh, we pray right now, God, that somehow you'll take these words, even if it's on a topic of money. But Lord God, it really does impact every area of our life. It's more than just money. It, it means... Um, the impact it has on our relationships, on our stress levels, on, on the margin, on our security. But Lord God, we know that you're the provider and you're the creator of all things. So Holy Spirit, we pray right now that you begin to speak your word afresh to us in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Um, so, uh, the next slide. Uh, we're gonna, this is a passage that really spoke to me a while ago. I'm going to read this and then I'm going to segue into a story. But this is what it says in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 20 to 30. But that isn't what you learn about Christ, since you've heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from Him. Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth. For we are all parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. If you are a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work. 
and then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. And this is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Uh, next slide. Um, a few years ago, I actually had a chance to go, uh, which I've shared before. I got invited as one of five pastors to be part of this community called Made to Flourish. It's basically a small community um, that talks about faith, work, and economics. And so here I was in Denver, Colorado, in Grand Lake. It was absolutely beautiful. I'll go next slide. And so, um, and isn't it beautiful? Yeah, this was a ski lodge. Yeah, it was really awesome. And here we are. There's about 30 of us. And there were, the pastors were in a minority, and the rest were all like workers, like flight attendant, work, uh, engineers, uh, IT guys, or, or, or business owners, yeah? Uh, and so, next one. If you, this was a whole bunch of us there. And uh, this is a team that I got to know. And you guys will get to know this group of people in a few months' time. Uh, they're part of this uh, organization called uh, The Different Company, or Reventure, formerly known as Reventure. I actually work there one day a week. I talk what I do, I do one day a week with this faith and work organization. Okay? But you'll hear a little bit more about them in the months to come. Uh, so it was nice to see that I broadened the ethnic diversity there. Uh, and so much so, next slide, that you see this little kid. It's like, is that an Asian man? I think he's from China. No, I'm Malaysian. Not from China, right? <laughs> but uh, next slide. And so here we were. It was a great community because this is where it really broadened my, my learning and understanding around faith and finances. Like, I realized what I knew was like primary school stuff. And then when you sat there and they began to unpack because the guy who headed this Network. His name is Pastor Tom Nelson. Used to be economist, turned pastor, and so he began to talk so much around faith, my work, and economics, and it just blew my mind. Like absolutely blew my mind. And I realized there is so much, guys, to learn around the difference that Jesus makes to money. Okay, what I'm presenting is just 101. Okay, um, and next slide. And and one of the key verses that that I read in the, the Pastor Tom Nelson's book. It's a great book. It's called The Economics of Neighborly Love. Okay? And in that, he unpacked this verse. Where in Ephesians, it actually talks about how when we become a Christian, right? You throw off the old self and put on the new. And this is the implication that your faith has upon you. Right? It isn't talking about church attendance as important as it is. Giving, tithing, serving, reading your Bible. No, it goes into the practicalities of life. It begins to say, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. And it begins to list a whole bunch of things that coming to Jesus makes a difference. Number one, it starts talking about the way you stop, speak, stop telling lies, speak the truth, the way you relate to your neighbors the way you resolve your emotional uh, frustration and anger and find a healthy way to process your anger. But then it talks on this one simple, one single sentence verse. It changes your relationship with money. It says, you used to steal. If you're a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to those in need. And here... Tom Nelson began to unpack 
What is in a simple, single sentence the practical implication of this? Think about this, okay? Stay with me. It means that the moment Jesus comes and transforms your heart, and we spoke about that last week, you can go look at the sermon and listen to that online. But the moment you become a Christian, it changes your heart that all of a sudden you used to steal, you don't do that anymore. First of all, you start trying to find a job. Amen? You apply for a job. You can keep a job. And once you start keeping a job, then you earn money. It changes the way you budget, the way you understand how you manage your money. In fact, you manage your money in such a way that you can have increased savings that you now have the ability to give to other people who are in need. Can I hear an amen? All in one sentence. But you know, if we were to unpack that practically in our life, that would take ages to be able to live out. But yet, here again, in the next slide, it continues to talk about the number one, salvation, no, uh, the previous one. <laughs> uh, the iPad's not working today. Uh, but salvation impacts the way we handle our money. Again, just trying to draw to your attention how different verses in the Bible actually integrates faith and money. And importantly, how we handle our money is a spiritual matter. Okay, next one. In fact, God wants to rule over all aspects of how we manage His money, from budgeting, saving, spending, giving, and investing. Can I hear an amen? And I'm just trying to break that paradigm that our faith speaks to all areas of money management, and that all areas of money management is a spiritual issue. Okay? In fact... Have you ever thought about this? I mentioned this years ago. You know, oftentimes, if I was to say, you know, uh, I'm going to invite Warren Buffett here to be able to share about finances, many of you would at least come to listen. But yet we have the Warren Buffett of heaven who gives us his spiritual insight to say, this is how I created the economy. This is how I create finances. This is the way it's meant to be ordered. This is the way it's meant to work. If God was our accountant telling us how to manage his money, how would he advise us? Can I hear an Amen. So many times we learn from so many different places, so many different people from our parents, but yet how many of us have done an in-depth study around what the Word of God has to say about all areas of money management? And so what we're going to do is I'm going to cover different areas of that, give a bit of an overview, but from that you'll see that there's a lot of verses from the book of Proverbs, okay? And now one of the beautiful things about the book of Proverbs is that the book of Proverbs is a wisdom book. It's a book that was written by this man called Solomon. And Solomon had become uh, the king over the nation of Israel, probably around the age of 20 to 30, but he was a young man. And one day in the Bible, it talks about how God appeared to him in a dream and says, ask for whatever you wish and I will give it to you. And instead for asking for long health or riches, Solomon asks for wisdom and knowledge to be able to rule and govern his people and the nation. And so in that, God decided to give him and make him the wisest of all men and the wisest of all kings. And along with that, he threw in riches, honor, and fame. And then we see out of Solomon, out of that, with divine wisdom that God gave him, he began to build the whole nation of Israel into a place of economic prosperity. So much so that all the other nations around would send their ambassadors to go listen to the wisdom of this man. 
See how he's running the country. See how he deals with the environment, how he deals with agriculture, how he deals with finances, the social fabric of society. And he goes, learn from him. Oh, can you imagine that, guys? Right? All the ambassadors around the world being sent to the senior pastor of a church. <laughs> and they go, let me tell you how to run a nation. And it is out of that wisdom that we get the book of Proverbs. And sometimes when we see Proverbs, we think of it as, oh, these are individual truths that we, and principles we can apply. But it was out of that wisdom that Solomon built an entire nation. Can I hear an amen? Have you ever thought about that? And so therefore, some of the things that Proverbs speaks about can speak, speaks to nations, because that's how Solomon did the work to build Israel into a country of prosperity. And how much so can that apply to our organizations? How much more can that apply to our businesses? How much more can that apply to our household and ourselves as individuals? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to share, go through very quickly five key areas of how God instructs us about how we handle His money, okay? And the skills that we need around that. And the first is this. Uh, before I go into that, next slide. Uh, for those who want to know a little bit more, because I'm aware that our financial liter literacy here is probably quite high, um, and so some of these might be 101. So what I want to be able to do is give you a QR code. You want more information, go into these places. It's fantastic. This stuff here, it's top-notch. They talk about all these um, uh, lecturers and, and, anyway, all these intelligent people working together to work out how does our faith impact economics, and you can do a little bit more uh, reading there for your own interest. Okay, let's keep going. So the first thing that God speaks to us is our mindset. This is one of the things it says here. 1 Corinthians 10, 26, some of this might be you know, 101 basics for you guys, and, and so you're really aware of it, but it's important for us to go through that again. Number one, God is the owner. It is important for us to have a mindset that the money that we possess and we hold in our hands doesn't belong to us, but it belongs to God. It says, for the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, 1 Corinthians 10.26. It's important for us to understand that God is the provider. So don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and He will give you everything you need. And here the Word of God talks about how God is the owner and God is the provider. But then, what does that mean? It means, I am a steward. It says here in Genesis 2.15, after God had made the earth and everything in it, He says to mankind, which is you and I, He says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And here the thought of it is this. The first mindset to be able to manage money, God's money, His way, is to understand that, first of all, it's His money. Can I hear an amen? And we are just a steward. Now, stewardship is more than just us giving 10% and then that's it, don't touch everything else. Because we can do that, but still be really materialistic in our life. Yeah? We can do that, but still not surrender every area of our finances or money management. But to be a steward is to say every aspect of it, God belongs to you. To be a steward shifts the question from saying, can I trust God? God, can I trust you with my money? 
versus God saying, can I trust you with my money? That's the shift. Yeah? We become a steward when we see our money as God's money and we manage God's money God's way. Amen? Now, I came across this in a stewardship conference many years ago, this table, um, and I found it was really, really helpful. Sometimes, especially in the Christian world, we have a different mindset around how our faith affects our money. On the first column, sometimes we can have what we call a poverty gospel, a poverty mindset, where we think money is evil, and that godly people are poor, that ungodly people are wealthy, and the reason why we work is to be able to meet our, only our basic needs. And why do we give? I give because I must. And our spending is without gratitude to God. Now, I know it's a bit oversimplistic, but just get the gist between the three mindsets. Yeah? But then some of us, on the far right, we know that especially in Christian circles, there's this whole prosperity gospel, right? Which is true, God does want to bless us, but taken to an extreme, this is where you land, Right? As if it's that if I serve God, my life is going to be prosperous, right? You all know my story. That's not true, right? right? But just because you're not prosperous doesn't mean that God's not with you, yeah? But yet the prosperity mindset says this, that money is a right. And that godly people are wealthy. Ungodly people are poor. I work for what reason? To become rich. I give to get. And the way we spend is carefree and wasteful. But to be a steward is right smack in that middle. Where our mindset is this. Money is a responsibility. The issue whether you have a lot or very little in the season that you are in is secondary. Whatever we have is a responsibility that we're going to be accountable to before God. The second, godly people are faithful. Are you faithful with the little you have or are you also equally faithful to the lot that you have? Ungodly people are unfruitful. Yeah? You see the parable of talents. You got one talent, yeah? And a few others. Who's the ungodly one in that parable? The one who was not fruitful with what they had. Yeah? So it's not really in the categories of haves and have-nots. It's about the category of stewardship. Can I hear an amen? Yeah? And here it says, I work too. Why, why is it that we work? To serve my Lord Jesus Christ, I give. Why? Because I love God. And my spending is prayerful and responsible. Is this helpful? Yeah? I found that sometimes I land on one side, sometimes I land on the other, but so many times I have to remind myself it's about stewardship. And I know that sometimes in churches, it can land on one of those two camps. Either we take pride over the like, look, I'm giving up everything, and look at all those people who have so much, and look at the way they spend. Sometimes underneath that, it's a poverty gospel mindset. But sometimes it's a prosperity mindset. We're saying, let's have a stewardship mindset. Okay? That is our mindset. The second thing to talk through is this, our pursuit of wealth. You know, a lot of times, if I was to give each of you $10,000, who's going to say no to it? Everyone will say yes, right? Of course, we'd love to have more money, right? No one would ever say, oh no, don't give it to me, right? Right? But the thing is, wealth is, can be a good thing. But what is your vision of wealth? What is your understanding of wealth? How are you pursuing wealth 
in your life right now. Because oftentimes, the way the world defines wealth equals a lot of money and a lot of possessions. Right? I mean, if we were a bit more astute, we'd go, health is wealth. Right? You know, you hear some of that stuff. But more often than not, the way the world tells us what wealth is, is a lot of money and a lot of possessions. And that will give you the things that you need. But this is what Jesus says in Luke 12. He said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. But what I found is that when you go into the Bible, especially in the book of Proverbs, and you look at what it says about biblical wealth. Everyone say biblical wealth. Right? Next slide. This is what it talks about. And I think the pursuit that we should have is not worldly wealth, but biblical wealth. Now, what do I mean when we say biblical wealth? Biblical wealth equals, this is a formula. How many of us like maths? Okay, this is a maths lesson for you, right? Right? Biblical wealth equals Money plus. Everyone say money plus. Money plus, right? It's not just money and possessions. It's money plus. And it talks about it. Like number one, here in Proverbs, it's talking about wisdom. It's money plus wisdom. Okay? Here it says, I love those who love me. And those who seek me, it's talking about wisdom, find me. And with me, wisdom are riches and honor and enduring wealth and prosperity. My fruit is better than fine gold. What I yield surpasses choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness along the path of justice, bestowing a rich inheritance on those who love me and making their treasuries full. And here the Bible gives us a much more holistic vision about what biblical wealth looks like. It's money plus. Money plus wisdom. Because when you have wisdom, you also have wealth. Because with wisdom comes self-control and the ability to plan to take advice, and to make good decisions. Wisdom enables you to create wealth without sorrow in it. Here it says, With me, wisdom are riches, enduring wealth, and prosperity. In fact, sometimes it's worth more than just riches on its own. Amen? You see in the next slide, not only that money plus wisdom, but it talks about money plus contentment. Here Timothy says this in 1 Timothy 6, Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. Yeah? And here, after all, we bought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So we have enough food and clothing. Let us be content. Everyone say content. Content. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all evils. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. And here it gives this picture again. It's not against wealth, but it's against the love of money. Right? But here it gives this picture of pursuing also contentment. Because with wealth and contentment and godliness, we get great gain. Finding satisfaction in God and living a godly life. It brings great gain and protects us from the trap of always wanting more and feeling like we never have enough. I'll keep going. It says here, honor the oh, sorry, um, back again. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best parts of everything you produce. 
Then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. Here, again, wealth plus honoring the Lord. Because when we can recognize God's importance in our life, if we can recognize that it is God who gives us the ability to make wealth, it keeps money from being an end in itself, but a tool to the chief end of all mankind, which is to glorify God and enjoying Him forever. Amen? What else does it say here? Whoever pursues, pursues righteousness and love finds life, prosperity, and honor. And you can find different passages that talks about biblical wealth is more than just money and possessions. It's money plus all these other things which oftentimes money cannot buy. But the second mathematical formula to give us <laughs> is this, that biblical wealth equals other things is greater than. Everyone say greater than? Greater than money. Because the honest truth is, the Bible teaches us that there are other things that are more valuable than money. And sometimes in life, we cannot have everything. And don't buy into that lie. Amen? Yeah? And sometimes we have to choose between money and these other important things. And here, God gives us a vision of what true biblical wealth is. And when we can understand it, we pursue these things instead of trading it for money and material possessions. Yeah, this is what it says. Proverbs 16, 8. Better to have little, everyone say little. So if you ever have a choice where you can have a lot or little, choose a little. But with a little, with godliness, than to be rich and dishonest. Proverbs 15, 16. Better have little, but what? Pursue instead the fear of the Lord than to have great treasure and inner turmoil. What does it say in Proverbs 22? Choose a good reputation over great riches. Being held in high esteem is better than silver or gold. I mean, think about businesses. So many businesses spend a lot of money for brand protection because with reputation comes a lot of prosperity at times. And sometimes we want good reputation with God, but we also want good reputation with man because sometimes that opens doors that nothing else can open. Can I hear an amen? Yeah? And so sometimes, however, in exchange for money, we will let go of our reputation. I like this last one. I'll give you the Asian pastor translation. Better a bowl of two-minute noodles with someone you love than lobster noodles with someone you hate. Right? Asian pastor translation. Okay? A bowl of vegetables with someone you love is better than a steak with someone you hate. Think about that in your own life. Couples, when we've had arguments with our spouses, it just ruins the whole meal. You can be in a fine dining restaurant, you can be whatever, but it means nothing. It loses all its appeal when that relationship is out of whack. Because here the Bible is highlighting what we all know, we experience the riches of good relationships. But yet, how often do we exchange the pursuit of worldly wealth at expense of biblical wealth? Can I hear an amen? Wealth with honoring the Lord, with integrity, with the fear of God, with reputation, with loving and right relationships, with the pursuit of righteousness. This is the vision of biblical wealth that God calls us to pursue. 
Think about the rich people you know who do not have these things, which money cannot buy. When you have wealth without all these other things, that's not wealth, that's slavery. And I really had this sense during worship that some of the issues that we are facing in our life is because we have pursued worldly wealth. And I believe God's wanting to speak to you right now through this sermon, through His Word, to reframe your vision of biblical wealth and to pursue it. You can't have everything. And if you had to choose, choose what biblical wealth has to offer. Amen? Amen. Is this okay? Yeah? Now, the third thing is this. Let's talk about um, generating income. Yeah? Here we find in the Proverbs, it talks about 668. Take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. Learn from their ways, become wise. Though they have no prince or governor or ruler to make them work, they labor hard all summer, gathering food for the winter. Proverbs 14.23, all hard work brings a profit, but mere talks leads only to poverty. And here the Bible, and there's heaps more, but it talks about how diligent hard work. Everyone say hard work. Not easy work, hard work, right? Hard work, diligent hard work is God's ordained way of generating an income. Think about it. Back then, it's in an agricultural world. Do you think then the link between your prosperity and your work is a lot more connected than what we experience in today's kind of culture? If you are a lazy farmer, you got nothing to eat. If you are a hard-working farmer, you will have enough. Can I hear an amen? But sometimes we lose sight of that. And this is where Solomon is coming from in the ancient Near East. This is how they understood the way of God designing income to be generated was through diligent hard work. Not just easy work. Not just smart work even though that's important, but hard work. And here he speaks against the issues of laziness. He points our attention to the ants and to hard work. In Proverbs 16, 26, it says this, the appetite of laborers works for them. Their hunger drives them on. I really like that, especially for the next generation. I mean, the migrant you know, generation, you know, we understand that, right? Because you have to move from overseas and you've got to put food on the table. Do whatever work you need to get it working. Amen? Right? But for us, sometimes the next year, we have so many options. It's like my purpose and self-actualization is the most important thing in the world. Right? And sometimes we forget that sometimes just to do work so we can put food on the table is not a bad thing. Can I hear an amen? Yeah? And sometimes we have to think about it from that perspective. Keep going. Oh, there's a whole chunk gone. Okay, I'll speak to it. Uh, Proverbs 22, 29, it says here, do you see any competent workers They will serve kings rather than working for ordinary people? And here the Bible talks that skilled work and being excellent will give you opportunities. I know it doesn't always work like that, like a formula. But as a general wisdom principle, it's true. I believe that one of the key ways to get job security is being skillful and excellent and diligent in everything that you do. The Bible also speaks about 
get, avoid getting rich quick schemes. Dishonest monies uh, and dishonest money. Proverbs thirteen eleven, wealth from get rich quick schemes quickly disappears, but wealth from hard work grows over time. Yeah, I love this verse. Uh, this one where it talks about inheritance. Proverbs twenty twenty one, an inheritance obtained too early in life is not a blessing in the end. I'll say it again. An inheritance obtained too early in life is not a blessing in the end. And I want to speak this for those retirees managing your estate planning, your inheritance stuff. Oftentimes we think it's all just in the arena of money management. But here, Proverbs is saying you're also going to manage the character of your children whom you're going to pass it on to. Because here, if you don't grow money over years through diligence, vigilance, and skillfulness, you may not have grown the character and habits Necessary to manage the money well. Children who inherit money without earning it too early may squander it because they've not learned the habits of self-control, wise management, and the virtue of delayed gratification. And here, Proverbs suggests that wealth be gathered slowly so that the character that greater assets require will grow along with your wealth. If riches come quickly, it will give you a false sense of proportion of who you, who you are. And if you've not grown the habits and the character, you can squander it very fast and very quickly. Can I hear an amen? So for all those who are estate planning, have a plan for character development for your kids to manage the inheritance that they have. Isn't this good? Right? It's so rich. And I'm just, I know I'm covering a lot of material, but it's really, there's so much to it. The other thing the Bible actually speaks about is don't be lazy and don't freeload. Here in Proverbs 10.4, lazy people assume poor, hard workers get rich. The Bible speaks so much against slothfulness and laziness. Proverbs 6.10.11, a little extra sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of hands to rest, then poverty will pounce on you like a bandit. Scarcity will attack you like an armed robber. I like this one, 2 Thessalonians 3.10. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. So imagine someone comes to me as a senior pastor of the church and goes, I, I need some food. And you go, sorry, I are you able to get a job? Like you go, hey, I've got this job offer, but I didn't want to take it. And I go, sorry, man, no food for you. And then you'll get the, you know, the comment back, oh, you, you type doctor, you know, type pastor, not willing to give, you're not compassionate, you say you're a Christian, you're meant to love Jesus. Yeah, I love Jesus, and this is what Jesus says to you. <laughs> right? If you're not willing to work, when you have the ability to work, then you shall not eat. Sorry. So if I do that to people, don't misunderstand my godliness. I'm being biblically faithful. And whoever it is, it's just being lazy. Yeah? The Bible says a lot about laziness. Taking personal responsibility when you are able. Obviously, if you can't, for whatever reason, you've tried putting 100 applications, but you can't find that job. That's a whole different matter. But if you only put one out there and you want to start complaining, I'm sorry. Right? You've got to do a little bit more than that. Amen? 
Do I have permission to be like this? Can I hear a big louder amen? Okay. Amen. Whew. Weight off my shoulder. Okay, let's keep going. Next one. Debt and savings. Yeah? The Bible talks a lot about debt. They largely avoid debt. I know it's not that easy. You, you need to go into debt to get a house. But if you look at the Old Testament, God had an economic system that always got people out of the slavery of debt. Okay? And here it talks about here, just as the rich rule the poor, so the borrower is servant to the lender. Here it talks about how if you can't, try not to enter into debt, especially uncontrollable debt. Because if you are in uncontrollable debt, you're going to enter into a form of slavery. Yeah? Now, in fact, this is another thing which I think is interesting. It talks about guarantorship, right? You know how sometimes when you want to take loans and then you don't have enough security and then you need a family member to guarantor you to be able to get access to that loan? It actually talks about that. Isn't that great? Yeah? Who would have ever thought? Right? And it says here, don't agree to guarantee another person's debt or put up security for someone else, if you can't pay it, even your bed will be snatched from under you. Now, this is just wisdom principles. It's not law. Okay? But the general principle I want us to take away from this is where you can, where you can, avoid debt and avoid especially uncontrollable debt. Because if not, whoever is a borrower will be a slave to the lender. Okay, next verse. In fact, this is how God speaks to the nation of Israel when they got out of Egypt. It says here, the Lord will give you prosperity in the land he swore to your ancestors to give you, blessing you with many children, numerous livestock, and abundant crops. The Lord will send rain at the proper time from his rich treasury in the heavens and will bless all the work you do. You will lend to many nations, but you will never need to borrow from them. If you listen to these commands of the Lord your God, then I'm giving you today and if you're carefully obeying them, the Lord will make you the head and not the tail, and you will always be on top and never at the bottom. Amen? Now, I'm not trying to preach a prosperity gospel here. I'm just trying to help you understand the place that debt can have. If it's uncontrollable debt, you will become a slave. We cannot enter into buying a house without getting to debt. But what kind of debt are you taking? What size of your mortgage are you taking? Are you taking one that you can afford to repay? Or will you, with increased rate rises, push you into a place of slavery? Can I hear an amen? I know the world has many different ways, and I'm not an economic person, a finance guru, and people have different risks to leverage that in a very significant way and highly geared. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. All I'm saying is that you never know what might happen into your life. Amen? And I think there's wisdom in saying, where you can, try to avoid uncontrollable debt. And I'm being very specific with that. Yeah? Is this okay? Yeah? Okay, let's keep going. Okay, Proverbs 21, 20, talking about debt and savings. The wise man saves for the future, but the foolish man spends whatever he gets. I'm saying the obvious, speaking to the choir here. So this is actually the, um, the money box for my children. So they're uh, 8 and 11. So as part of financial discipleship, I give them five categories. There's the give God money, 
a bucket, the giving to others bucket, saving bucket, the spending bucket, and the multiply bucket. And so they get a bit of money every week for their chores, and the rule of thumb is you've got to put the 10% to God, but then you've got to put a coin in every single category. And I'm just trying to teach them to think about the broad aspects of money management at a young age and how God wants us to deal with it. So it was interesting. Micah put most of his money in the multiply bit. <laughs> then I said, oh, why? He goes, oh, so that I can take out the multiply with more money and then put it in my spending. <laughs> right? So, very street young man. It was really heartwarming. Last week he said, he was in a sermon. At the end of it, he goes, Dad, I want to give all my money to God and to church. I'm like, yeah, it's great. That's the best uh, compliment a preacher can have from his own child. He listened and obeyed. Amen. Amen. Okay, and the last aspect. Then we'll go into um, touching base with Damien. Our responsibility with money. What I'm trying to do here, I know I've covered a lot of ground. All I'm trying to do is show you how much the Bible speaks to all areas of money management. Can I hear an amen? That's all I'm trying to do, to give you a taster to see how much there is to learn. Here, it says here, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. It is proper for us to leave an inheritance for our children. It says here in 2 Corinthians 12, 14, children are not responsible to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. In Proverbs 27, it says, Know the state of your flocks and put your heart into caring for your herds, for riches don't last forever and the crown might not be passed to the next generation. And here the Bible speaks about the power of inheritance and passing on generational wealth from one down the other to steward it, not just for yourself and your family, but also for the kingdom of God. Can I hear an amen? Yeah? Okay, next slide. Here, it talks about our responsibility with money. Is also to look after our family. Here it says here, take care of any widow who has no one else to take care of her. But if she has children or grandchildren, their first responsibility is to show godliness at home and repay their parents by taking care of them. This is something that pleases God. And all the parents are like saying, thank you, preach it, Pastor Chi. You know, preach it, right? But here... Where does the primary responsibility for parents lie? And that takes money to care, right? It lies within the immediate family, not the church. But the church steps in there for people who do not have that network and we see what we can do. Obviously, with the government and stuff like that, there's that support there. Just trying to help you understand the place of the church in that too. In fact, 1 Timothy 5.8 says this, But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially those of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Isn't that a strong reprimand? Very strong, yeah? Okay, next one. And here, it talks about our generosity, right? A heart of generosity and practical love, especially to those who need it and those who, who are poor. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let us merely, not merely say that we love each other, but show truth by our actions. If you help the poor, you're letting to the Lord, and He will repay you. Amen? Now, what I'm going to do is, um, I'm gonna, in the last segment, I'm going to invite um, Damien. 
So uh, Damien is a financial advisor at YV uh, Financial Services. Um, I've known him for years. We kind of grew up together. Um, but more importantly, just want to be able to hear his heart as a, a member of our church, um, a Christian who's passionate about uh, finances. But we're going to just kind of uh, Q&A him uh, with some of his experiences and understanding, and then we'll be able to dive, deep dive a little bit more in the workshop. So why don't you guys give him a hand, yeah? You? Yeah, I'm okay. <laughs> he was very, very uh, a bit, a bit nervous, but you'll be fine. <laughs> Thanks. Hey, look, um, Damien. You know, um, one of the things I really appreciate about Damien. I remember we went to Mornington. We went fishing together, and then we walked up the street to Mornington. And then I went to walked up the street, and I realized I had spent money after walking out the street, and I realized that he had earned money after walking out the street. Right? Like he walked into uh, you know, uh, this uh, op shop and he had purchased things and he resell it. But it's about his mindset. It was incredible. And I was like, hey kids, you've got to learn from Uncle Damien. Right? So that's something that I really love about uh, Damien's uh, contribution, especially around financial advisors. Some of us who have had experience with financial planners, a lot of them out there, it's like if you have 50000 or 100000 you know, to be able to invest, you know, this is what you do with it. But not a lot of us have that kind of money just lying around. And I found that Damon's perspective really helps and contributes to a lot of others who are not necessarily in that category. And I want us to be able to hear his heart from that. So Damon, uh, how does Jesus reframe our heart and mindset in how we see and use money? I mean, you see a lot of people, your clients, who manage money. I'd just love to hear your perspective and how your faith and your, your love for Jesus impacts that yeah. money management. So I think with... Um I see a lot of clients, and when it comes to financial advice, I feel the, the biggest issue is around money management. It actually isn't about where to put money. It isn't about how to invest the money. It's actually about the money management part, and that's the biggest concern for most of them. Uh, people have their goals and their visions. They want to come in. They want to purchase a home, but they've got massive credit card debt. They've got massive car loan debt, and they haven't thought it through. And so there's a lot of uh, lack of financial literacy, I feel, that's in our community. Um, and so that's led to this, you know, that's the reason why people come and see financial advisors. And so, but I think that, yeah, just understanding how to manage your money is the biggest key thing um, in, in society today. So I guess with, to answer your question, Chi, I mean, pretty much you answered it through your incredible preaching this morning. That's... That was just uh, incredible. Like, all of my answers were basically, you already said it. So, you can just refer back to... So, does that mean I'm... So you're, now you're qualified, qualified financial advisor. advisor. Yeah, oh. perfect. But it is about stewardship. So, how I approach everything is about stewardship of what God has given to me. Um, my parents, migrants, obviously came over. Um, so, their, their understanding of how to manage money... Uh, is what I took on, um, but I probably went further with it. Um, but, you know, the way that we learn about money is through our parents often, and also how we experience money. Um, and so it is, yeah, I guess the way that I've tried to approach it is just trying to, um, yeah, have that stewardship mindset. And that hasn't always been the case. It's only been recent that I've actually gone and switched towards that stewardship mindset. Uh, prior to that, I was trying to do that whole um, wealth-driven and 
kind of prosperity kind of way. Um, but, you know, things happen in life um, that uh, sometimes change us and, you know, help, help us uh, see who God is and, and what he wants uh, for our finances. Um, so, yeah. Uh, I think for me as well, being a good steward then allows me to not be fixated on whether I have too much or too little. Um, and whatever I have, it's, it's for God's use. And just if, if I feel, if, if God's calling me to give, then it's just like, okay, I just open my hand and give. And it's just, it is there. Otherwise, in my previous life, I would be just holding on to it as tightly as possible. Um, and, you know, it's like, it's, it's my money. It's, it's ownership. So it's moving from the ownership to the stewardship mindset. Yeah, so, so what you're saying, sometimes we can misunderstand stewardship as kind of like managing it so well that you have more, but you're still gripping it like this. Correct, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah. I would say that, yeah. Okay. Now, the other question is, look, I've been impressed with how you've been able to make your money work for you. And obviously, we're going to talk more about this in the workshop, but with the increased cost of living and with interest rate rises, what are some of the practical tips that you can give us uh, to be able to make our money work for us? Uh, how much time do we have? Like, where, where do we start? Um, look, I, I am a, um, I'm a qualified financial advisor, um, but really I have my master's in, uh, in, in money hacks. That's, that's what I'm all about. As, uh, as, as, as Chucky once said, you're a financial advisor by day and a professional tightwad by night. But he didn't use those terms. Um, so the way I approach it is to be very, very pragmatic and unemotional. I think when we get, when we talk about money, it can end up being an emotional thing. And when it's emotional, then sometimes you do make wrong decisions. So um, to, be, to be a good steward and how I've worked it out is just to set up a good rhythm, um, set up good habits. And once you get up in, the, in these good rhythm and habits, then I think things flow a bit, easily, a bit more easier for you. Um, at the start, it can take a little bit of effort and it may seem like it's a waste of time um, because you save a dollar, you save two dollars. It's like, well, was it really worth that effort? But it's all about doing the small things so that when you're faithful with the small stuff, the bigger things come along, you can then just tack it on and it becomes part of your, uh, your rhythm in life. Yeah, one of the things that, you know, in our con a lot of discussions around this is that, um, you know, oftentimes we think about increasing wealth as increasing our income. Yep. But you have a perspective around increasing yeah. wealth by saving it. Yeah. Yes, Why yes. So, um, look, short on asking your boss for a pay raise, basically your, your income is your income. The only way that you can really increase your wealth is really by saving it. So the old saying was a dollar saved is a dollar earned. Uh, but in reality... Depending on your tax bracket, a dollar saved is a dollar thirty-two and a half earned, or a dollar thirty-seven. Or so, because the second you consume that money, in order to get that dollar back, you have to work extra hard to get it back. So it's easier to um, bring in delayed gratification, understanding those concepts, so that you can save more money. By saving money, you're actually then increasing your wealth. Um, that's how I've approached it, and how I try to uh, encourage my clients who are struggling. In this area of money management. Yeah, was that helpful? Yeah, that little bit. I know some of us have different levels of financial literacy, but I thought that was really insightful around there, that, that misnomer, that myth busting. That yeah. dollar earned is a dollar. Yes. Yeah, so for example, like, you know, um, Pastor Chi will go out and get his coffee, uh, 
he'll spend five dollars. But really, to gross it up, that will then cost you actually seven dollars fifty, or close to seven fifty. So you have you know you have to work extra hard to get that money back. So it's like, well, I prefer not to work hard. Duh, harder. I work hard. <laughs> not to work harder uh, if I don't need to, but just to save it. Yeah. Okay, great. Well. Uh, last question, when we talk about stewardship, it can feel like the end goal is about saving more. But it's really about stewarding what God has given us. What last few comments can you make about stewardship? Yeah, so uh, that's correct. Uh, sometimes it can come across as just being uh, just completely tight with your money, and that's not what this is about. Um, if this life was all that we had, um, and based on you know what Western society... Um, you know, and, and culture has so ingrained to us about instant gratification, uh, the bombardment of uh, advertising. Um, I think you may feel like that, you know, you're just saving, saving, saving for saving's sake. Um, but for me, I think stewardship can actually look like something beautiful because we are part of uh, God's kingdom and here we're also part of the Clayton community. And so we're not just an individual. We're not, we're not an island. We're part of a greater community so that if, if I save a dollar, and, and Pastor Chi mentioned this last week, if I saved a dollar um, and everyone here saved a dollar through some, something, a tip that I brought up later, it ends up being you know, 500 bucks, say. Um, and you, you extrapolate that over a year, it becomes a significant amount of money that can be used towards ministry, can be used towards microloans, can be... It can be used so that this is a church, it's like an axe church. And that's really where I, I see it. I see that stewardship can be an actual beautiful thing, not just uh, something that, you know, it's just you, you being tight. Yeah, one of the key things that I, I think I've, I've definitely over the multiple conversations with Damien learned, because sometimes we hear the word stewardship, we go, yeah, I get it. But like stewardship means managing your excess just as much as managing your little. But for what purpose? Sometimes we're very carefree when we've got a lot of margins. Like, ah, oh, it's a bit too much work, a bit too much effort, uh, you know? I'd rather use my time, you know? Time is important. But then one of the things that he's brought in my conversations and my learning is that, actually, i still got to be a good steward in my excess. Am I so carefree and nonchalant around how I, you know, my, my margin that I don't think about it? But when you think about it collectively then, right? $5 with 500 people in a year. That's an incredible amount of money collectively. Just one simple thing that we're doing that can actually serve those who are in need and we become that X community. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Anything else? Uh, no, um, not really, not at this stage. I think, um, yeah, just, um, yeah, you know, if you want to pop into the workshop afterwards, I think it would be good to, um, yeah, just have a bit of fun, have a conversation, have Q&A, um, and if there's any ways that we can obviously help you uh, save money during these obviously um, increasing cost of living uh, times, then that'd be great. Okay, great. Why don't you give them a hand? Yeah. Okay, if I can get the worship team up, and we're going to answer Micah's prayer, we're going to finish on time. Amen. Um, we're going to have um, the uh, workshop here at 11:45, um, so people will head out and then come back in. We're going to have finger food for those registered. Um, but please uh, hang back. If you still feel that you want to be able to come even though you haven't registered, we'd love to be able to have you here.
But if I get a worship team, I, I want to leave you guys with this challenge, yeah? I want to leave you with this challenge. I want to share with you two pictures that I saw. One is, I saw us all standing worshipping God. And I saw this flow of money just going around like this. And it was like this vision of what the early church was like. Where when God really is the Lord over our finances, and we become stewards, not owners, stewards, then God will want the flow to happen. Can I hear an amen? Because, I mean, I experienced that when everyone here was incredibly supportive of me. When I went through my own challenges. And the truth is, we all walk through different seasons of plenty and of little. And one of the most tangible expressions of God's love upon us is when you are just crying, you go, God, and you're worried, you're anxious, you worry about provision. And then all of a sudden, God moves through the body of Jesus Christ that is each and every one of you. Amen? And in that, you practically move and you give. You help those in need. Sitting with Joe and Yin, learning about YNAB and how they manage their finances. Or, you know, me sitting with other people and hearing, I, I sat down with a guy who was 30-something years old and he retired. And I go, how do you manage your money? Learning. And all these people offering their financial wisdom and aspects was such a loving, practical thing. And I think that is our opportunity. I saw that vision of just when God, when we are steward and, and not an owner, and God has everything, we will see His money flow in this community His way. The second thing I had was this. That many of us are good at stewarding our finances. But God wants you to, you to go to the next level. Steward your faith through your finances. Amen? You're good at managing your finances. But steward your faith through your finances. Move to the next level. Have a bigger vision of what God can do with money and how it can be an incredible tool to be able to show the love of God to our neighbors and into His kingdom. Amen? Yeah? So why don't we rise to our feet and then we're going to have um, the prayer team come up. Um, if I can invite the prayer team, we'd love to be able to pray for you for any things that you need prayer for. We want to lay our hands and pray God's blessing and be that conduit to be able to speak God's word over your life. But let me just pray. Obviously, next week we're going to have um, another uh, topic on money, but let's just bring this to a close. Lord God, we just want to thank you again. We thank you that you're doing a work to break our paradigm. And to begin to open the, the door of our heart so that you can have a full say over every area of our money management. I pray that for my life. I pray that for everyone here. God, I pray that we would have the wisdom of Proverbs. Your godly, divine wisdom. But it beginning with the fear of God because with the fear of God is the beginning of all wisdom. And I pray there'll be a fear of the Lord in the way we manage our money because it's not our money we're managing your money but you want us to manage it your way so God I pray that you begin to do that work to speak to each and every one of our hearts God God I pray that we'll give you the key that you can then allow 
the movement of your finances to move freely to serve those in need. But also, God, I pray, God, that you'll be able to help us to steward our faith, not just our finances. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus.